Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Side by Side Dirt. It's your host, that's me, it's Sheldon. Well, let's get a little recap of episode 4 called Sponsorship, Deal or No Deal. First of all, we talked a little bit about Camp Razor coming up in the end of October. We also talked about the Works Race in Mesquite. And we also talked about Laughlin, uh, best in the desert race that's actually happening as we speak right now. So on the sponsorship side, we talked about little different ways that we feel, that I, sorry, that I feel that you could maybe reach out to companies, make yourself stand out a little different from the rest. Be a little loud and be a little proud, I guess is what you want to, I want to call it. But we've got a guest for episode five. This guy is, I've known him for a long time. He's definitely uh, been around the off-road industry and the side-by-side industry for a long time. Um, he's definitely been around a lot of suspension, a lot of big names in the industry. So let's get him on the phone here. So everybody hang on, let's get a friend of mine called Jason on the line. Hey Jason, it's Sheldon here. You're on episode five of Side by Side Dirt. Sheldon, what's happening, man? Finally, right? That's right. It's finally we got you at least on the podcast. I heard that you're live from Vegas right now. Whew, it is true, man. It is a long day in Vegas. The rumors are true about the Honda. It is coming. And uh, yeah, man, at AIM Expo out here in Vegas. Nice. Well, that's cool to hear. You're not that far from Laughlin right now, are you? Not that far. Uh, it's still a pretty good drive, but uh, you know we got all our boys out there running the desert race tonight, right? Well, it's a lot closer than I am. I think I'm about 2,200 miles away. <laughs> so I think it's closer than that, right? That's it, man. I might be a little closer. That's right. So Jason, let's tell our viewers about what makes you a side-by-side enthusiast. Oh, man. I, I probably... You know, it's funny. So a little bit of back history on me. I have obviously some suspension experience. And I can remember back when, you know, uh, I know you had an episode on Side by Side Dirt regarding Orange Crush, right? The flagship yeah. of the UTV Underground, man. I mean, that was that was the car for many, many years, um, you know, and, and it's, it's cool enough that I actually knew the guys that built that car with Danny and the boys over at Magnum Off-Road. They were one of my customers that we got to do the shocks on that car. And, and that's kind of how the whole thing stemmed, right? Was from Orange Crush. It was a hit car, obviously flagship car for UTV Underground for many years. And then uh, and then the uh, the Razor, man, let's face it, those guys hit the, uh, they hit the ground running with the, what, the Razor 800S. I mean, that was really the, the, the leap, right? I know they launched the one the 800, but it's like as soon as they dropped the 800S with some suspension travel, I think the whole industry just kind of like went, whoa, you know? Well, and that's what I'm saying. And that's where I guess the Rhino, like you said, Orange Crush to me, like I do believe that that still to my knowledge is still a flagship model. That was what we see today. It's just all in a different aspect, I guess you want to call it. But a lot of people don't realize 
about how the Rhino was, I feel, still is the, the godfather that started what we know today. And it, long travel stuff has just got bigger and better since those days. So we're going back well over 10 years since I think 2006 was the first Rhino, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, you know? uh, it's like you said, man, it's uh, the boys at Ma- uh, Magnum Off-Road, you know, the things they were doing back then, SDR, the stuff that Tim was doing, I mean, they, they started the whole thing, man. I mean, I, I can remember having the conversations when these guys were out running around and everyone making fun of the golf carts, you know, and look at the golf carts today, man. These guys are killing it out there at Best in the Desert, passing full-size cars that can't even carry the same speed, you know? Well, and I agree. And getting to golf carts, I remember seeing golf carts with actually, actually with like motorcycle motors in them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right? <laughs> like long so, travel golf carts, right? <laughs> so yeah, to put that in perspective, man, here I am at AIM Expo in Las Vegas. Honda's about to drop the bomb here on of November, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's changed, man. It's changed a, a lot. So yeah, but I think I, I first put my own personal foot in the, in the, uh, in the industry in uh, what was it 2011 I believe it was on an XP 900 that my dad and I kind of built uh, together and oh man it's good times you know let's face it everybody there's not one person man that can't get that behind the wheel and get a grin on their face and I mean even go-kart racing kind of reflects that right there's no one that doesn't get behind a, uh, a go-kart or uh, you know something to drive without a grin behind their face it's a good time man well, and that's what, that's what it's always been, right? Like when you guys, when you guys were doing full suspension stuff, you guys were mostly into the truck stuff, right? That's kind of where yeah. you kind of guys started, in, and then you guys kind of got into the side by side because it was a cheaper version of a truck to get the same feel of a trophy truck, right? Am I on yeah. the same kind of right path? I yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You're on the same path, and then like I said, when they, when the, I'll never forget, man. When the 800s came out, it was like, what? Yeah. something with you know you know some mid travel we'll call it mid travel now but the time it was long travel but yeah that was it man 800s that's right i totally agree changer i to- i totally agree i think that's where razors always kind of had the market share especially players and that and i feel that a lot of people over the time have tried to I guess reflect on that and I think now you're starting to see Honda coming out with I guess it's called the new talent nobody really yep. knows what kind of engine from what I see it definitely looks like they're running the trail arm and radius rods and stuff like that it's got a different look to it for sure um, I think that they hit the hammer on the nail better than Yamaha I do than the YXZ but I still like the Yamaha platform I still think that the Yamaha has always been on top of the food chain that way a little bit better for you know reliability versus a lot of brands and it's just too bad that they kind of failed with the yxz i just i still feel to this day especially being a rhino guy and still loving my rhinos like i still do i just felt like they really fell short on the yxz look yes yes that well yeah you're right there's some people that think look wise it it you know, it, it, it was. It, there's definitely that opinion out there. I, I personally, I'm a fan of it. I, I like it. It doesn't bother me. I, and like you said, the, the durability, the the manufacturing behind that car, is, it's unbelievable. I mean, there's 
there are some things that I would change, but I, you know, I think a lot of things that people don't understand, right, is I remember there was one time I was actually en route to go to a works race and I had stopped at Barstow Outlet Center to fill up the truck with gas. I was actually on my way to a works race in Havasu and I just so happened to bump into a guy at the gas station that knew of a test session that was taking place not even a mile away and said, hey, you know, man, before you get on the highway, you might want to go around the building here. So I did, of course. And uh, yeah, kind of walked right into a testing session and they were nice enough to actually sit down and talk to me. And I got to talk to the engineers that are designing these things. And they're like, look, man, we have to, you know, as engineers, we got to figure out where we want these things to fail and where it's going to be most cost effective to the consumer so we don't break the bank, you know? So there's so yep. much that goes into it, man, that people don't even think about. They think like, no, oh, man, can MX3, the front arms buckle right off that thing. And they're like, well, would, would you rather arms break off or would you rather the whole frame break off? So there's, there's a lot that goes into it, man. Well, and that's what, I guess that's what makes us, I guess, side-by-side -side enthusiasts because there is so much time that gets involved to, to making the model to the parts to the the platform but it's all based around us as consumers because we are in a way a little bit of the testing dummies in what you see right and that's what i'm saying like let's <coughs> excuse me let's get a little bit back to the orange crush let's talk about the i know that's a couple episodes back but we need to talk about orange crush why do you feel that the orange crush was such an epic build and why it's still an icon you think to this day. God, I think about that car, man. And I honestly, even at this moment, I'm like, where is that car now? And I know my buddy sold it, you know, and at the time they were building the car, again, Magnum knocked it out of the park with the build. It was great. The car soup. I mean, it was unreal. We had it in our booth at Sand Sports Show. Uh, I don't even remember. I'd have to look back at what year, but you know, when the Sand Sports Show uh, was early on and actually as crazy as that is a sand sports show used to be full-size sand cars about 75% of the show was like that you go to the sand sports show now it is probably 95% side-by-side so talk about you know a game changer but orange crush man that was a, that was a flagship car and like I said Magnum knocked it out of the park with the build we got to play with some shocks on the thing. I actually went in it a few times around uh, Lake Elsinore track, you know, when we were doing some tuning and it was just, it had never been done before, you know, not to that extreme. And I think we were all just so blown away in the moment that it was just, it was crazy, man. But, you know, we had some issues. I mean, Orange Crush, I think there were some axle, you know, axle issues early on you know that uh built a little bit of frustration but at the same time you're so hyped you're in the moment that uh you know yeah that, uh yeah it's just kind of how it is but super nice car well that's what i'm saying is what did you guys do how do you feel that you reinvented the wheel with orange crush <coughs> so for me obviously on the suspension side that was uh, uh you know a good customer of mine that I've had for years and and they were all about obviously it, it tells you kind of the characteristic of the customer because they were all about going all out and doing something different so I remember on that particular car 
you know, on the shocks, we wanted to kind of come up with some cool different things. And one of the things that we handmade was we made these machines. Uh, I don't even know what you would call it, but it was like a, a slider, but it was on the top of the, each coil, a top and the bottom of each coil. And it had uh, thrust bearings in between that was all machined encapsulated inside so that when the car was at full weight capacity on the ground, you could go over with one hand and twist that spring uh, like it was sitting on the counter, you know, I mean, just something that we did, you know, a lot of people, uh, when the spring compresses, the natural reaction for a spring is to twist. Yes. So we, we took that out of the equation and just, I don't know, man, it was just fun. You know, like I said, there was so much hype and there was so much excitement going on because it hadn't been done before that, you know, uh, you guys were doing it. We were doing it, man. Yep. Well, and that's the thing, like you've, how long have you been going to the sand show for? That's got to be, let's see, when was Orange, Orange Crush was about, what would you say, 10 years ago? Yeah, I'd say roughly over, yeah, about 10 years ago. I think 09, 08 <laughs> or something like that. I would, so Orange Crush, I don't know for, for the people out there, but Orange Crush went from, obviously Orange Crush with the Apache, you know, helicopter on the side to then the, the same car, but new paint job went to more of like a Rastafari so that was like almost paint job gen 2 yeah and at that time it was in our booth in our suspension booth at Sandsport show so that would have to probably be let's just call it nine years ago oh you yeah know? and then uh, after that I know it was in showed up back in Magnum's booth a few times and it was all white um, but uh, but yeah that was that was a Sandsport show man and it was maybe one or two side-by-sides that being one of the extreme cars the rest were still full-size sand cars and now it's it's like it's all side-by-sides you know yeah. it's like if you're not a side-by-side at the sand sports show you're completely out of the market now it's it's crazy well i know when i was in california for the sand show in 2014 i remember the people that are whispering that were walking down the road they were some of them were mad because it was mostly side-by-sides and no sand cars and no trucks and yeah, there was people that, that were really excited that it was side by side. Absolutely. You're 100% right. There was that mix. There was those yeah. people that were like, what happened to our show? Yeah. And then you had, you know, us all hyped to see the new side by side builds from from the SDRs, from the from the Magnum off-roads and the rest of the guys that were out there doing it up. And there was definitely that transition, 100%, because I know the conversation's taking place, you know, but it's it's... It's a new world, man. It is a new world. And I think that the more we look at the side-by-sides, I, like I said, I've talked about my previous podcast, people, I've heard people say that all side-by-sides are just going to be a fad and then they'll eventually fade out and, you know, kind of like, and I was like, I just don't see it because the reason why I don't see it is because it's such a family-oriented system, like, and they're built around family that it, it's pretty hard to fade that kind of system out. It was just like, if you look at trucks, lots of people say that trucks are fading out. Um, but I'm starting to see more and more trucks being posted and they're, they're going back old school. Like what are those, the 77 F100s and stuff like that. Like you're starting to see old school come back. Do you think that it's possible for us to see the new future of side-by-sides Maybe the old Rhinos or the old 800s, maybe making a debut, coming back, maybe. You yeah, ever see that? I, I, it's actually, it's funny you bring that up because there's going to be, I don't know, 
I think it's a little too early, but there's definitely going to be at some point uh, a flashback episode of those days. And I, 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 you had mentioned the Fat Rod. That was such a cool car that, you know, those things are bulletproof, man. Some of those builds, you know, and uh, I, I think we'll see a couple out there. You know, it'll be people like us, man, that you yeah. know, can remember those builds and we'll go, you know what? That'd be so bitching to build a Fat Rod or... And well, that's right. crush you know and uh i think it'll happen i don't know that we're there yet because there's so much hype on new stuff still that you know uh between polaris's uh 1000s the rs1 the can-am market all the models they dropped honda getting ready to do a drop at the end of november i mean it's geez man Anybody that says the power sports industry is, uh, you know, is slow or dying, they, they must be hiding under a mountain because it's probably the most progression the power sports industry has seen in the past 10 years is side-by-sides. I totally agree with you. So let's yeah. put you on the spot. What is one of your favorite side-by-sides? Right now, man, if I was going to go pull one out of the woodworks and go pull the trigger, I have a hard time. Like the, the pull it. Uh, the Polaris 1000 S two yeah. seat, I that would be. They've got so much development time, and, and that would be a great choice. But I'm also so pulling on uh, on that Textron, man. I really like the build that Textron put together on the Double X. I mean, it's a nice car. The car, when you sit in a Double X, are you even open a door? The it's so sturdy it like it it's hard to imagine you getting in a car and it feeling heavy but it feels solid and and that's has a lot to say for longevity and, and you look at you know what even you look at the control arms on a double x go look at one and the tubing on the arms is i'm gonna say the one and a half size is bigger mm-hmm. i mean it's they did such a good job on i think the 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 structure and the build of that chassis it's I think it's going to be a true contender. So I, I like those two are probably on top. The YXZ I'm a huge fan of because, like you said, the durability, the the transmission, everything about it is. I like the YXZ. The one thing I'm not a fan of for some reason over these last couple of years, I've seen the YXZ chassis be a little bit on the weak side, where my buddies are putting a bunch of gussets in and you know constantly fixing the chassis. So I mean that's. You know, man, that's a bummer. No one wants to go down that road, right? They don't want to. Every one of us, doesn't matter if you pick a Can-Am, a Polaris, an RS1, a Textron, whatever the car is, we're all going to go out and drive them like we stole them. That's just that's what's right. going to happen, you know? Well, and hands down, the <clears throat> hands down, the YXZ right now is the one that's building the biggest horsepower. I've seen, I've, I've heard of those things getting at like 399 horse. Yeah. You know? They were lucky if they pushed 300 out of uh, Razor, you know, and yep. now the YXZ, like they're still on top. And I don't know, you see a lot of back in the day, you see a lot of guys that had the XP1000s, they were putting in uh, the Apex motors or they were putting in the ZR, I think it was a ZR1 uh, 1100 motor in them from the Articat, like snowmobiles, like, you know, where the YXZ was now is one of the biggest boosted there is they're supercharging them they're turbocharging them like they're building big horsepower so i think if you're looking at horsepower rate if you're a big drag racer guess what i think the yxz is the best platform for that 
but it's a tough one to beat. Yeah. Right. But let's put you on the spot again. You being a suspension guru, the way you are, <laughs> yeah. what model would you take for? I've always liked, you know, I've, I've been in a, uh, quite a few cars and I've dealt with guys on the East coast. I've dealt with guys on the West coast. I've dealt with short course cars, desert cars. I'm a fan of weight. Um, and, and the East coast guys kind of pointed me this direction because they'd come out for King of Hammers to tune cars, you know, obviously previously due to the event and, and, and they were more of, uh, you know, their, their mindset's different, man. They, they tend to build things a little heavier. They're not concerned about weight and that, that inertia and movement that you gain from a heavier chassis, it, it makes the car so much more supple and plush through areas where a normal one would deflect and you get feedback in the steering wheel. And I just, so I guess anyways, to, to not go too far down a rabbit hole, I think the double X, man, I, I think the, uh, the ge geometry on that suspension and the weight of that car, I, I know there's some, some, some posts out there and some, some feedback of it being, you know, look a little on the soft side or blowing through the stroke on the rear, but that stuff's easy to fix, man. It's, it's not the end of the world, you know, well, that's great. Well, so, and that's his thing. There was another post that I seen a while back where you actually were running a Honda Pioneer 1000. What was your thoughts on that for all you Honda people out there? <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's funny, man, because you're right. The Honda Pioneer 1000, I wanted to get in the car and just see, because I was thinking, of, I was, I've thought about getting one multiple times. And I'm, I'm holding my breath here on this whole Honda thing for the longest time. I think like a lot of guys are. And uh, man, I'll tell you, I had heard from friends, you know, how fun it was to drive, the shifting. And I'll tell you, my first impression on the high-end Pioneer 1000 was the steering on that car is so slow that it was unbelievable. But yet the weight of the vehicle, the transmission, the shifting, the power delivery, the wheels was, was unbelievable. So it had one big flaw in my eyes as far as the steering feedback it was like a day and a half late you know you thought you were going to go off the side of the road you'd, you'd almost have to do three rotations on the wheel to do a quarter turn you know i mean yeah so it took some getting used to but as far as if that wasn't an issue man i mean the, the, the again i'm talking about the weight of the car it, it planted itself the shocks that fox did on that particular car for the consumer it was pretty plush man the adjustments worked well um, that's why I think I'm, I'm excited to see what Honda brings us here at the end of the month, you know, in November. And, uh, I, I think it's going to be a good one, but yeah, that the Honda Pioneer 1000, man, it's, you could beat on that transmission. It's so smooth. It's so, uh, it puts the power down so well, um, that it may not smoke the tires, but it actually will pull more because I don't know if that thing's got some sort of traction control going on or whatever it's got in it but it it puts it down right you know so what you're trying to say is basically the honda pioneers is basically built for comfort and not for speed <laughs> yeah that no that's it yeah yeah that's where you put the hammer on the nail right is that what you're trying yeah, to say that's or pretty what? Much it. yeah yeah <laughs> right <laughs> 
is, there's a lot of sayings to go towards that one, but you know, in the sci-fi somebody, style world, it is. If somebody had come out and I, and and when the 1000 Honda came out and the feedback I heard on that Pioneer 1000, I was so excited. I I know I kept wearing HCR out about this because they seem to be the only ones in in the ballpark to even consider doing a mid-travel kit that I called them multiple times and I'm sure they were tired of hearing from me, you know, saying, guys, you know, come on, we'll, we'll do a shock design, you know, uh, come out with a mid-travel kit for the Pioneer, you know, because that's the, the Terex had quite a few different, you know, mid-travel, long-travel kits from different companies. And it's like, finally, someone puts in a good tranny, good motor, 1000 cc's, why doesn't somebody build a mid-travel kit and get that consumer back? So I don't know, man, but, uh, I liked it, you know, but at the end of the day too, uh, let's face it, I'm a suspension guy and I want to, I want to go through the biggest bumps and be as comfortable and smooth as possible. So it could be the, yeah. could be the, could be the talent, man. I don't know the double X or the talent maybe. So that's what I'm saying. So what, what can you give our listeners and our, and our viewers and everything? What can I said to them on previous podcasts, I talked to them about why I feel that suspension is so important how you know you can get a stock unit and take it to somebody like you and pay that money and and what a difference you're going to find and i always say to people i think that it's well money well spent because there's nothing like driving a side by side and saying that oh it feels okay but you feel uncomfortable but i want people that are listening to realize why i say this because i've had suspension tune and I know what it's like to ride a stock XP 1000. And I can tell you right now, it was like unbelievable compared to my 900. And yeah, it, it was sloppy. It felt all over the place. It felt like it was going to roll over. It just didn't feel comfortable at all. It just didn't feel good for what I felt. And then there's people that argue about that. But I want my listeners to understand a guy like you that isn't, so heavily involved in suspension and such a side-by-side enthusiast why do you feel that having suspension work is money well spent i think the biggest thing is that you know we'll shed light on here real quick is look they like the manufacturers they they get us a really good start you know when you go on in a razor xp 1000 the initial the initial feedback is like, wow, did we just really go through those size holes or those bumps or over whatever? But mm-hmm. once it sets in, like you said, there there's some characteristics. It tends to have each car a little different that you start to automatically, maybe the second or third time kind of go like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I don't like how it kicks up in the back or why does it, you know, the nose dive so hard? And, and I think one of the biggest things is, um, bringing the car proper you know a lot of times i feel like the manufacturers when they're building these cars um they don't know what the consumer is going to do they don't know if it's going to put if the consumer is going to have two people four people four people and a whole you know spare tire and gear in the back of the thing so so generally what i see is they'll tend to go a little over on the spring rates especially on the rear which which will uh, will give you that bucking effect. So, like again, if you if you just actually spring your car, I tell guys, spring the car first, and it's much easier to figure out the tune characteristics. You know, if you whatever you're going to need after that point, but get the car balanced, get the chassis kind of level out first. And there's some things and tips that I do 
um, you know, that maybe we can even share one of these days with some of these guys to to go over, you know, and get them further down the road because it's not that that's that difficult. It's just uh, it's just a couple of few you know few things there. So, well, and there's a lot of math involved into all that stuff, isn't there? Yeah, there's uh, a <laughs> yeah, it's just it's you know what it is, man. It's just experience and and uh, and a lot of a lot of time testing. And it's again, I guess it's it's not hard to someone that's done it for 25 years, but you know maybe to somebody that has no clue, you know, hey, we'll we'll share some ideas and, and, and tell you you know what what's worked for me and you know maybe again we could do something like that on specific down the road on one of the podcasts and. And uh, maybe we can go car by car or do something or, you know, see what the guys say, man. If it's something that they're interested in hearing, maybe, maybe throw it out there. But um, that's key, man. Get the car balanced, you know, go on whatever train you're in. If you're up in the Utah area, maybe you're running through the rocks. Maybe you're out on the East Coast and you got single track, you know, narrow trails. I mean, there are so many different ways to put these things together. So um, to do a generic style kit doesn't always work for everybody you know so uh, well that's right yeah well that's when i like uh, we're going back to my previous podcast and a lot with episode five is because you've been around the industry for so long and you've been around you've lived all your life in southern california so i still feel to this day that southern california is the godfather of a lot of the off-road industry and I, the reason why I say that is because of guys like you and you talk about what you guys experienced, especially with Orange Crush and who you've worked with. Like you've worked with Magnum Off-Road in the past, you know, and things like that. Like a lot of these guys are icons. And to this day, you know, they're still building some crazy units like SDR. And, and there's there's multiple, lots of companies. There's there's guys that, that started back in 08 and they they stayed way back there. And then, you know, sometime they lost their shop during the crisis that happened down in the United States. And then in five years later, they reopen up a different shop. So a lot of people don't realize that some of these guys had these shops years ago and then lost them. And then now they're coming back out of the woodworks and bringing back their companies in a different name. But a lot of people, like I said, don't understand that there's guys out there that have. But you've been in the heart of Southern California all your life. So shed a little bit of light, if you can, what it's like to live in Southern California, especially in the off-road industry and the side-by-side industry. I think the biggest thing, you have those style of shops out here. You have the you know, all these fabricators that these guys are so talented on, whether they're doing design work or cage work or whatever it is. There's so many avenues and we're we're so aggressive, I think, to, to, uh, I don't know, man, I just, we're fueled in a different way. I feel like, you know, we're, we're so ready to push the envelope on a regular basis that it's never, it's never good enough. And I think that's what keeps the drive going. You know, you have all these influencer shops that come out and they do something. The other guy wants to push the limit and, you know, maybe there's a new suspension guy that can take this guy even further or whatever. And it just, it never stops. It could honestly be a, a truck, a buggy, a whatever that the market is in need for at the time. And that's just, that's just kind of how I think our brains are set, man. We're so into it that it never shuts off. I know for me as an individual, like uh, my mind thinks about this stuff all the time, man. I, I could never turn it off. 
you know, no matter what I was doing. Yep. So, uh, and I think everybody's that way, whether you're talking to Tim or Danny or some of the other guys, Brent over at Grounded 4 or, you know, Madigan. These, these guys are so, so embedded and want to push the envelope and they all have the same personalities, man. So, but yeah, you're right. It's all centrally right here, you know, so we always see it you know who's working on what you know it doesn't take a long time to jump over to reese millen you know that guy's shop is if you haven't been over there it's it's unbelievable man i mean it is a full-on treat to just stop over there and see what they're doing you know and i and i i'll do that you know i'll go over and and see what's new and uh everybody's always working on something man well that's what i'm saying and that's what makes the the evolution of the side-by-side is I still feel is Southern California. They reinvent the wheel lots. But we do have a little bit of a rival. I do have a person from Arizona that feels that Arizona now is starting to take over California in the off-road industry. I I could see that, man. And I'll tell you why. Because it's like you said, we, we started kind of, I feel like, that mecca. Like we have that group here. But Man, Arizona is just letting these guys run wild with them. I mean, you go to Arizona, man, they're side by side through the whole street. It's they're everywhere. So the growth, I think, in Arizona, maybe even in Utah, some of these other areas, because of what they allow people to do with these machines, drive them down the streets. You know, you can literally go out of your house, drive down to a trailhead and go blaze a trail for an hour or two and drive it right back. You know, us here in Southern California, it's at least uh, let's say two hours, uh, maybe an hour and a half if you were to go get up in the Silverwood and the trees, but two hours minimum, if not longer, you know, two to four hours is what you got to do to load up and take your car somewhere. So I could see the growth in these other areas like Arizona and Utah because they let them away. They get away with a lot more than we do. Yeah, I totally agree. So what are, where's some of your favorite riding grounds in Southern California? Oh man, I, Obviously, a lot of I don't get a lot of time out, but uh, I like to spend time over in um, in Barstow. You know, there's a little place out there. If you haven't been out there, it's called Slash X Cafe. It's kind of out in the middle of the desert. Actually, yeah, it's it's a destination point. You go in and you can get a burger. You can drive your side by side right up. If you want to have a beer, you can do that. Sometimes they'll do live music, but what you, it's centralized somewhat. And you've got Johnson Valley off to this way. You've got Barstow off to your other side. And and everybody ends up riding there, you know, to make a destination point. So I think those two places, Johnson Valley and Barstow, are really, uh, even though I've been going there for years, is great. But don't get me wrong, man. If I can spend more time, like, up in some of the single track trails of Utah, I'm sure I'd be hooked. You know, I, uh, I wouldn't, I, you can't get enough when you get a new experience, you know. Well, that's right. So out of all the side-by-side events that you go to, which I know you go to a lot of events, what is one of your favorite side-by-side events? Oh, favorite side-by-side events. You mean like shows or, uh, well, or like actually just where you're out ripping? Ripping, I don't know. Whatever. Like, what is one of your favorite shows to go to? Is it like you know Camp what? Razor? Is it the Sand Show? Or is it the King of the Hammers? Ah, man. King of Hammers is... You know what? I, I should say it. A good thing you brought up King of Hammers. It's a good one because it's so long. It'll go from, you know, guys are showing up on a Friday, Saturday, 
and the events start Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and it goes to the whole next weekend. So there's a lot of ride time. There's a lot of, you know, you can, you can get your own fix in and run trails, or then you can go over and watch the races. And the amount of people that are at the, that particular event is probably the largest I've ever seen. It turns into an entire city. So that's a really good, unique one it's for people to hit if they haven't seen it. I, I always like that. But uh, another one that always kind of pops up in my head is out in Utah. We used to do the work series quite a bit, and San Hollow is out in Utah. And that is, that's an unbelievable place. If you can imagine, there's a lake and there's a, like kind of a resort off maybe a mile and a half away that's really nice. This place is all sandy around the lake. It's it's like being at a beach at a lake. And then you can literally just park your camper right next to the water and go unload your razor or whatever you have and go rip up in the hills of Utah, eventually get into some rock trail. You I mean, it just goes forever. So it's that sand hollow is unbelievable. I like mm-hmm. that place a lot. Yeah. Have you ever been to the rally on the rocks before? That one I haven't been to yet. I'm trying to trying to put that one on the on the schedule, but I just get so tied up with events on everything that I do. I just I just can't make them all. But I think for anybody, it's a no brainer. Yeah, that's what I heard. Rallying the yeah. rocks, definitely right. So yep. Well, Jason, we appreciate the call out, shout out that we did, and you finally reached out to us. We know you're a busy man, and we'd like to have you definitely on more episodes and like I said I I like to have an episode just dedicated to what you know just about a suspension because I guess everybody knows who you are and what you do now it's time for you to kind of share your side-by-side knowledge with suspension so that you can help all consumers kind of figure out which way would they would want to go if they want a spring kit or if they want to go long travel or you know along that lines right yeah absolutely man and i and i appreciate you giving me the time you know it's seeing the growth of your podcast and everything that you're doing man i'm excited i know it's going to go a long ways you know so uh, i know there are some technical things everything's getting worked out but ultimately look it's it's going to be great so yeah we'll do we'll get together man if you want to put together something and uh you know see what the see what the guys say if they want to i don't know discuss a razor spring kit and how it gets done and what it takes and what products are used i mean yeah we can absolutely do that on a podcast and you know whatever well, that'd be whatever cool that, that'd be sweet to hear something along that lines what year because you are a very knowledgeable person like i said i've known you for quite a few years and we definitely i think sometimes we talk more than we talk to our wives but it's just a good you are a good all-around guy and you have a lot of knowledge especially in the suspension um i definitely do feel like you're you're definitely a guru of it and uh, I know that you're a busy man, but I'd like to get you, like I said, on further, some more episodes of that, and we can talk more about it and kind of, I guess, basically, in a way, kind of shoot the shit a little bit, like we all do on a regular basis. There we you go, know? man. Yeah. And I appreciate it and everything like that. But one thing before you go, Jason, who would you like to see on the podcast? So let's hear you would do. Um, you know, what do you call that? Uh, a shout out to. A little shout out. I, I'd like to see, um, geez, man, there are so many good guys out there. <laughs> you know, we can only pick one though. <laughs> I know one, one, one for now. Let's see. I always like, man, Reese Millen. Um, if there was ever a chance to get Reese, you know, on the podcast, 
the knowledge and the information that that guy has, you, you can spend a few minutes around him and learn something. And, uh, and like I said, I, I always do. So if, if I think he, I would ask to get him on that because the tips and tricks and the amount of R and D time they spend in more than anybody I've ever seen. So that, that'd be probably a good one. Molly folks, you heard it first. We are calling out Reese McMillan on side by side dirt. I don't know there if it'll ever happen because I know that I grew up watching the guy. Uh, he's a very famous person if anybody doesn't know who he is, but he's definitely got a lot of records out there. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could ever afford to pay him to come on the podcast, but it'd be cool if he wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of. Like we said last episode, sponsorship. <laughs> there, you, there you go, man. Right. So, Jason, we're thank you for talking to us. Enjoy the rest of your weekend in Las Vegas. And like we see, what goes in Vegas stays in Vegas, <laughs> I guess. Just like side-by-side -side dirt, what says on side-by-side -side dirt stays on side-by-side -side dirt. So, that's this is Sheldon. I'm signing out. Thanks again, Jason. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good rest hey. of the weekend, people. Talk to you later. Thanks, bud. Bye.